Okay. Since this is what we call Palm Sunday, uh, I want to talk about that for just a minute. It's, <clears throat> if I were in the beginning had planned all these messages out, uh, today would have been first fruits, is what I would have taught on today instead of uh, on atonement. But it doesn't make any difference. <clears throat> I'll talk to you about it anyway. What event is it that we celebrate on Palm Sunday or remember? What, what is it? It's Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. The people were lined, lined the pathway into the temple and they were putting the palm branches. I'm not sure they were palms necessarily, but palm branches and they were saying, singing, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. You know what Hosanna means? It, it really means save, save now. Save us now. They were looking for a savior. Not the kind that they thought they were going to get. <laughs> they were looking for a savior who would be their leader and liberate them from Roman tyranny. Really, what was in their minds, I think, that day. Save us. I would have been saying the same thing had I been there. I want somebody to save me from this oppression, persecution, this distinctly uncomfortable situation that we're in. Now, here's the back story to that Palm Sunday. Think about it in your mind. Every head of household within a 20-mile radius of Jerusalem was required to come to Passover. Required. But there were thousands and thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people from all over the world that were there at Passover. They came every year. And we, we covered this. There were hundreds of thousands of lambs sacrificed over the years uh, at Passover. So each one of these heads of households would bring a lamb on the Sabbath, which is yesterday, so to speak, if this was actual dates. On the Sabbath, they would bring the lamb into the city to the priests, and there were many priests. They, anyway, logistically, they had to spread it out, okay? They would, they would bring the little lamb that they had kept pinned up for four days. They were required to, to select the best lamb of the flock, the one without spot, blemish, wrinkle, or any such thing like that. Now, again, you understand, this is ritualistic. It's take your best lamb, the best you've got. The priest didn't literally go through the lamb's fur and look at it and all of that. It, it, it was a ritual. That, that was the point. He was to be a spotless lamb. Now, why did he have to be spotless? What were they thinking? Give God my best? Is, was that the thought? God wants the best I've got? Is that what this is all about? Was that what it's all about? Was, was God asking them to give him their best? No, not really. He, he wanted to show that his son, the real lamb of God, was without sin. 
spot, blemish, never sin. Okay, that's what this was foretelling. Okay? So they would take these little lambs and they would lead them into the city. Thousands of them. At the exact same moment on that Sabbath, Jesus rode into the city on the back of a little donkey that had never been ridden. All of this was the fulfillment of prophecy. Every detail of this was a fulfillment of prophecy that had never been ridden. And this is when this event took place. So everyone that was coming in was was experiencing the shadow, the, the type, the ritual. They were experiencing the ritual of Passover, going through the motions of it. And at the same time, Jesus was, was fulfilling exactly every single detail that had been prophesied about this day. Now, If you remember, during this week, Jesus was taken into captivity. How long did you think he stayed in captivity before he was released? How long did they keep the little lambs pinned up and examine them, so to speak? How long? I just said that a minute ago. Four days. Jesus was kept pinned up so to speak, for four days. Now, they didn't go in there and examine him and all that, but they didn't have to. So, from the Sabbath, Saturday, you got Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, those four days. On the fifth day, the next day, on Wednesday, all those little lambs from sometime between three in the afternoon, probably until six in the afternoon. That's when they were sacrificed. That's exactly the same time when Jesus hung on the cross and gave his life for us. He died on Wednesday. He didn't die on Friday. He had to stay in the grave three days. Why did he have to stay in the grave three days? Because Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits is a seven-day feast. It had to happen this way. Exactly. Now, <clears throat> so sometimes, sometime in the early morning, you can count three days from that Wednesday, you got uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so you got three days. So sometime after those three days passed, sometimes in the early morning hours, on Sunday after the Sabbath was when Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead on the first day of the week, not on the Sabbath day first day, which is Sunday. That is why Christians, even the early Christians, they would visit the temple. They still did some things in the temple at times, but their celebrations took place on Sunday, the first day of the week. That's why the church adopted that as our day when we celebrate, when we come together, when we learn, when we fellowship, when we worship, when we get together. That's why we do it on Sunday. And appropriately so. It's appropriate that we celebrate Resurrection Day. Now let me talk to you just a second about the Sabbath itself. 
The Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. What that means is this. Every day is a Sabbath day for a believer. Every day is a day of rest. It's been fulfilled. God rested. So you can rest. Every day is a Sabbath day. But it's appropriate that you worship on Sunday. Jesus did away, overcame, and did away with all those ceremonial rules, regulations, all of that. He did away with all of it because he fulfilled it all. Therefore, if you still, quote, keep the Sabbath, you're missing in some form or fashion the reality of what that Sabbath pointed to. That's what I'm saying to you. Don't get hung up on worshiping on Saturday. We've got lots of people that do that, you understand? And they are very strict about it. They're, they're very strong about it. It's the cornerstone of their belief system. But it's based upon something that is not based in reality. It's not based in the new covenant. It's not based in the new life. It's not based in resurrection life, actually. We ought to celebrate today. Right? Okay. So I wanted to talk about that for just a moment. Something else is this. Notice... Who was it that the priests examined? Now, logic would tell you that if there's a guy bringing a lamb in, that the priest would want to examine the man, not the lamb. But the priest, they didn't examine the man. They examined the lamb. Why? Why? Why wouldn't you examine the man? Because it's prophetic. See, the priest would examine the lamb and they would make this pronouncement, so to speak, at the end of the four days. They would say, I find no fault in it. See, not only Pontius Pilate, but all of heaven has said that about your lamb and mine. We find no fault in him. There is no fault in him. So listen. God examined the lamb, not the man, and he pronounced over the lamb, there's no fault in him. He's not examining you. He never has examined you. <laughs> you just think he is, but he isn't. Jesus bore our sins, all of them, upon himself. So will you stop, if you do, please, living your life like God is nitpicking things about your life? He's not. He's not. He's already declared you righteous. So just stop being that way to yourself. It doesn't do any good. It's a futile and fruitless exercise. Okay? All right, let's talk about the feast for a minute. Uh, I don't want to rehearse this too much. I don't want to uh, go over it again too much, but just a few things. These feasts were to be held three times during the year, first month, third month, seventh month of religious calendar. The first feast is Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. Those three, three in one feast, celebrate or remember uh, Passover, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of the house, the eating of the 
of the unleavened bread and the lamb, the roasted lamb. Uh, all of this is typed for us. It's saying you, you are born again through the blood of Jesus. You're cleansed of your sins through the blood of Jesus. You eat the living word. You take the unleavened word, which is, again, Jesus is the word. Look, can I tell you something? This isn't the word. This isn't the word. He is the word. This talks about the word. Okay? I believe this, this book is obviously incredibly valuable to us all. We would know nothing without it. You understand that? Really, not much. So I'm not denigrating the Bible at all, but keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the word, the living word. He's the living expression of what this talks about. Okay? So, you eat the word. The unleavened word. What does that mean? It means you eat pure grace. You eat grace. The gospel is the gospel of grace. It's not the gospel of works. It's not the gospel of trying. It's not the gospel of anything like that. It's the gospel of grace. It's grace. Absolute and total unmerited favor of God. You know why God loves you? You know why? Well, because I'm a good boy, right? Not a good girl. No, you aren't. Not really. Um, we, all, we all have feet of clay up to our armpits, right? Uh, no, he loves you because he wants to. I don't know. He wants to. Apparently he wants to. He apparently loves you a really whole lot to do what he did. Okay. So... It, it types that for us. And then First Fruits types our resurrection with him. We sung about it today in Johnny Cash's song. That if you're going to rise from the dead, I'm coming with you. And you did come with him. You were buried with him through baptism unto death. And like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so you've been raised to a new life. So you, you, you were raised. Resurrection, that was typed uh, for us through water baptism and then through the Red Sea. As they went down into the Red Sea, they came up out of the Red Sea raised, safe. Their enemies suffered, but they were saved, right? Okay, so they, they were raised. It types that. Great celebration after that. Miriam and maybe 300,000 women sang, danced, celebrated. The resurrection really is what they were celebrating. They didn't know it. So, then three months later, in the third month, we have Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit. They went through a ritual of Pentecost. We get the reality of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came, one of the most important events in human history. Jesus sent the Spirit. God sent the Spirit. He came. He came to indwell our mortal bodies. It's God in us, our hope of glory. It's Christ in us, our hope of glory. It's the possibility of the, of the spirit life continuing on in you. Not natural life anymore. There is natural life, but that's not the life you really live. You live in the spirit. You live a spiritual life. You became a spiritual being. There's nothing you do that's unspiritual. It may be dumb, but it's not unspiritual. So, the coming of the spirit. Who is it that resists uh, at least in our history, uh, church history, who mostly resists Pentecost? People are still at Passover. 
They've been born again. They've been saved. They've been baptized. They go to church. All of this, but they don't have anything to do with the Holy Spirit because it's weird. Okay? So they can re resist. Once you, listen, you, you've got to get something for each one of these feasts. Take it with you. Don't leave it behind. Don't stop there. Stop stopping. Okay? Stop, stop, stop. Stop stopping learning. Keep learning. There's more. There's more to come. Listen, this is what I was trying to do the last message that I spoke. Rick did a great job, by the way, last week. And I appreciate that. Listen, I am trying to get you to keep changing your mind about what you think you believe. You had to change your mind about what you thought you believed when you were born again. You had to change your mind to stop believing exactly like you did in the past in order to receive the Holy Spirit, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because some of you, many of us, were told that the Holy Spirit, you know, that's off limits, there's, you know, all of that. So, you had to change your mind to accommodate the new reality or revelation that God's giving you about the Holy Spirit, to be open to receiving Him. I spent years going to churches teaching them about the Holy Spirit in all these evangelical non-charismatic, non non-Pentecostal churches just to open them up to the Holy Spirit. It's, I mean, it's like pulling teeth. There's such resistance because of what was taught. Now, beyond that, almost every one of you that has any sort of understanding about grace at all or a hunger for grace had to change your mind from where you were to where you are. Did you not? Wasn't there an upheaval of thought in your life when you began to contemplate grace, the reality of grace? Wasn't it revolutionary to you? Talk to me, wasn't it? Yes. There had to be a tremendous change of your mindset in order to accommodate new information or new truth into your life, right? Yes. Do you think that stopped? Do you think you're going to stop there? You're not going to move forward. You're not going to continue to receive. That's what I'm trying to get you to do. Because there's some things that are coming in the end times that we're facing that will require of you, if you're going to benefit from it, to receive a new understanding of what reality really is from God's end of things. So continue to learn. That's what I'm trying to get you to think outside your little religious box still. I told you when we first started, many of you, some of you that were here the first day that I taught in this church nearly 16 years ago, I told you I was going to teach you everything I know and everything I learn about grace. Well, I'm learning. You keep learning too. <clears throat> so, for example, we've also seen that the primary, in my mind, in my opinion, you can disagree with me if you like, and that's fine. I mean, it's okay to live your life wrong. I mean, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, I live my life a lot of times wrong. Wrong understanding. But the primary thing to look for in tabernacles that's coming, it hadn't been fulfilled yet, is a further revelation of the Father. Passover revelation of Jesus, the sacrifice, his sacrifice, all of that. Pentecost revelation of the Spirit. Tabernacles revelation of the Father. The Son, the Spirit, the Father. 
Now, the Father has been revealed through Jesus, obviously. I mean, he's, he's shown us what the Father is like, but there's some more things to learn than we know. That's what I'm saying to you. In order to accommodate that new understanding of the Father and a, and a better understanding of what he's like and who he is, you're going to have to make some adjustments in your thinking in the future. I'm not saying he's going to... It's not going to be unbiblical. It'll be biblical. You're just going to see some things in the biblical part of it that you never saw before. That's what you're going to do. I mean, I see things in verses that I never saw before, don't you? All the time. I see reality there that I never saw before. And that's going to happen to us. For example... Uh, <clears throat> grace makes sense grace is logical religion is nonsensical it does, it's not logical people don't take their thoughts to their logical conclusions now here's, here's a, a conclusion if God is love and scripture says he is Jesus modeled that he was if God is love, that's going to change your opinion of him in some very specific areas and is going to bump up against some theological stuff in your life that you, didn't, you, you don't even remember is there. For example, let me, I gave an example. I said, many people would, under standard evangelical ways of seeing things and doing things, especially here in the West, we, we were taught that somebody that comes to the, quote, age of accountability, whatever age that is, when a child knows difference in right and wrong and all that kind of stuff, the way it's explained, if they, don't, if they don't pray this prayer and commit their lives to Jesus or receive Jesus or whatever it is you have, whatever verbiage you put to that act of salvation, if they don't do that and they are, have an accident, or a bus hits them, or they die instantly, or something, and never had a chance, the time, to pray the prayer, or they didn't have the knowledge that they needed to do that, or the understanding that they needed to do that, or anything like that, never, gave a ch never given a, a word, a chance. Past thinking says they go, to a they go to hell. They go to hell. This eternal conscious torment. What I'm saying to you is that says something, that theological system and way of seeing things says something about God that's not true. Not the God that Jesus modeled for us, exhibited for us. Not, not the God of my understanding that is the God of love. I would never do that to one of my children. Let me ask you this. Did God love you before you quote, got saved or born again? Did he love you before you believed? Yes. Do you think he loves you more now than he did then? No. He loves that 15-year-old kid that never prayed your prayer just as much as he loves you or all of us put together. And he's going to, without opportunity, send him to hell forever, writhing, torment, worms, gnashing of teeth, burning, fire, the Western concept of this hell. Is he going to do that? Well, if he is that kind of God, I'm out. I'm out. Now, I fear him. I'll fear him. Oh, I do. I would. I would fear him, but I wouldn't love him, and I wouldn't like him. I'll fear him, but I'm not going to like him. So, I'm not saying that you don't have to 
that you can get to heaven without Jesus. That's what some people thought I said. I didn't say that, and I've never said that, and never will say that. But what I did say is that child will get an opportunity to believe, and it'll be an opportunity that's way almost beyond his capacity to reject. God will see to it that he sees. Now that I can go along with. The other God's a pagan God in my mind. He acts like a pagan God at least. Okay, that's just all I'm saying to you. You say, you're saying? Yeah, I am. I am. I'm saying, who, who told you that death is the end of everything? It's not. Physical death is not the end. You understand, it's only a beginning of a, an eternity. You get that? You, didn't, you won't die when your body dies. Your, your soul, your spirit lives. That's life. It's not over. It's only beginning. Who told you that someone would never get an opportunity to believe after they die? It's ridiculous. It's actually ridiculous. That's what I'm saying. You won't believe that. Okay. All right. Okay. Now, a revelation of God that we don't have yet. All of it. We just don't. He will be revealed, and he will reveal himself more in tabernacles. That's what I'm saying. You're going to find him to be a whole lot bigger than you presently think. When I say bigger, I don't mean in size. I mean just a bigger person. He's going to be a lot better than you think. And I don't care how good you think he is now. It's going to be better than that. He's going to be bigger than you think. That's one of the things I tell people. When I began to understand and see the reality of grace and all that it meant, all of a sudden, God just got real big to me. and He got really, really good to me. He got so good to me that he's irresistible. He's the kind of God I want to worship. That pulls my heart to him. That pulls everything in my life towards him, not away from him. That's the kind of God I see revealed in, in Jesus and revealed in Scripture and revealed by grace. But there's more than that. There's going to be more than that. Okay. Just a couple of things about today. We were going to look at atonement. We looked at trumpets last time. Uh, just a couple of things about trumpets. Here, here's one thing about trumpets. One of the things that we listed that trumpets represents is, when they're blown, is a call to war. So you can expect some of this in the last days. It's, it's happening now. Some of it is. It's a call to war. Well, what does that mean? We're going to fight people? No, I don't think it means that at all. Does it mean that we're going to engage the devil, you know, and rebuke him and you know, do stuff in spirit against the devil? Is that what it means? I don't think so. Let me tell you what I think it means, a call to war. What, what the place of battle, the war that's going to be happening. When the devil showed up on the, on the scene in the book of Genesis, 
What was his strategy? Who did he lie about? He lied about God. To whom? The human beings. And he lied to them about them. He lied to them about God and he lied to them about them. And they believed it. Or some of it anyway. See, he said, God's not like what you think. God is not like what you think. God is not like what he's apparently has told you he's like or shown you he's like. He's not like that. And he lied to them about them saying, you're not everything you could be either. You could be better and bigger. That's, that's what he lied to them about was God, the nature of God, the intent of God, the work of God. Here's the spiritual war. Here's the spiritual war. The war is going to take place between those who see God as grace reveals him to be and as Jesus reveals him to be and those that see him in a religious way. That's where the war, the spiritual war is taking place right now. You understand that in the last, mm, I'd say no more than probably 20 years, there were hardly any voices of grace that were being heard anywhere in the world. Now there were some way back there, but boy, they were so undercover and they wrote some things, but you know, it wasn't widespread at all. In the last 20 years, there's been an explosion. I'm telling you today, things are much different than they were 20 years ago. Much different than they were 15, much different than they were 10, much different than they were five years ago. It's been astounding to me since we started this church and we started talking about this openly and just as open as we can be about it all at how many other people there are now all over the world that are seeing the same thing and responding in the same way. That is going to be the war. And we're going to win. Okay, now keep that thought in your mind. I want to show you something else. At Passover, Passover is taken with unleavened bread. Pentecost is taken with leavened bread. Tabernacles is unleavened bread again. In Passover, the unleavened bread represented the purity, the perfection of Christ. Pentecost, why do they take it with leavened bread? Because at that point in the church's history and, and beyond, there's, there would be mixture. There would be mixture. wouldn't be pure. The message wouldn't be pure. But in tabernacles, it is. What I'm saying to you is, in the last days, grace will dominate the thinking of the world. That's what I'm saying to you. There is a tsunami coming, a flood. It's, it's coming. It's on the horizon. It's, it's going to move humanity with the love of God into a place the vast majority of humanity would never dream about right now. There's going to be a tremendous harvest. 
in the last days. So the war is grace and mixture, or law. The end result is going to be God is going to reveal himself as the, as the God of love and the God of grace. He's going to do that through people, and he's going to do it on his own to some extent, I believe. He's going to take over. Please. Continue. See, there's a lot more danger of you resisting truth than it is of believing untruth. Don't worry about that too much. The Holy Spirit will lead you in this. Just don't get in a snit when, when something rattles your cage theologically. Don't get in a snit about it. Think about it. Think about it. Begin to open your heart to it. I'm not talking about doing, you know, believing lies. I'm not talking about believing heresies and all that kind of stuff. I'm not, you're smarter than that. That's not going to take place. Open your heart more and more as you go along to things that God is teaching you that still rubs up against your theological framework. Okay? That's what I'm doing. Trying to do. So do it with me. Okay? okay? There's a lot of good stuff coming your way, folks. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But you're going to be empowered. There's going to be grace for everything we face. God is going to equip us. He's going to anoint us. He's going to protect us. And he's going to be with us. He, folks, he is so, so good. Good. He's good to everybody. The whole world, he's reconciled to himself. Past people, present people, and future people. He is already reconciled to himself. That doesn't mean that they're reconciled to him, but all they got to do is have a you know, a moment of clarity about that, and a lot of them would. They just don't know. They don't realize it. Because their flesh is telling them what your flesh told you all your life, and mine did too, just about, that it's a merit system. You know, do good, you're blessed, do bad, you're cursed. Because God's a God of justice, and I agree with that. He is, just, he is the God of justice. He is there's a justice side of God. You know what justice, God's justice really means, I think? It means that he it will make everything right. He will make everything right. Right for you and right for your enemy also. Right for both of you. He wants to make things right. That's his justice. And, you know, there are people that really, really like having an angry God. They like it. Because they're angry too. Now, they like having an angry, you know, that kind of God. They like that as long as they're not included in the group that he's angry at. <laughs> it's the truth. 
I like a God that'll get angry at bad people. Mm, I don't. I'd rather have one that doesn't get angry at any of us. And you? And I think, who wouldn't hope, at least, that that 15-year-old kid got a chance to believe? Who wouldn't hope that? Wouldn't you hope it? Talk to me, wouldn't you? Wouldn't that, wouldn't you wish that he would? If he was your son, you would. Of course we would hope that he would. Well, do you think God's less compassionate than you are? No. No. Oh, Pastor, you're saying there's no hell. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm just arguing with somebody, not you. I'm just, no, I'm not. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying it's going to look a whole lot different from what we think. That's what I think. You're going to be really, 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 really way out there, surprised, bum-fuzzled, fall over, shocked at who's in heaven. You are. You're going to say, golly, I never would have thought they would be here. <laughs> you know, back in the day, I was hoping they wouldn't. You're going to be shocked. But you're also going to be thrilled. You're going to be just ecstatic, overflowing with utter joy at everybody. Everybody. You'll feel sad for those who resist, I believe. And you'll be a part of the bride. Revelation 21 talks about the Spirit and the bride say, Come. I'm not talking about the coming of Jesus, I'm talking about the people that are outside, outside the city. The Spirit and the bride are still saying to those people outside the celestial city, so to speak, they're still saying, the Spirit's saying it, and so is the bride saying it. The Spirit and the bride are one. You understand? They're one. They're one together. The two trumpets, the silver trumpets, it's the redeemed and the redeemer. The redeemer and the redeemed. Same, same material. Same, same chunk of silver. We're like him. The Spirit and the bride will continue to say, come. Come, 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 come on, come on, come on, come. My daddy is all right. My father, my daddy, my, my real dad, my real dad, who died in 1976, he's all right. I know he is. I know he is. Okay, stand up. I'm rambling. I don't want you to believe weird stuff. But every, every revelation you get, there's usually a deconstruction of an area of thought in your life that has to be deconstructed so the new can be constructed in your thinking. Every time. Do you understand? That's what repentance is. You live a life of repentance. Ongoing all the time. Which is a commitment to, really, changing my mind in light of new light. New understanding. New truth. To us, it would be new. 
You constantly adjust your thinking in light of what you're seeing. Okay? Don't stay at Pentecost. I'm not saying don't get filled with the Spirit. I'm not saying it at all. Be filled with the Spirit. Be baptized in the Spirit. Operate in the gift. Walk in the Spirit. Have a life of the Spirit. Commune with the Spirit. Communicate with the Spirit. Get to know the Spirit. Do all of that. Yes, 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 yes. But don't just see that that is everything because it isn't. There's more to come. There's more to understand. There's more. Always more. I think we'll spend eternity doing the same thing. Thinking, whoa. Wow. Take me, I don't know, a thousand or two years to get over the shock of that wonderful thing. And it, whoa, there's another one. A couple of more thousand years to handle that one. This one and that one. God, you just really quite large. Lord, <laughs> just... I think it'd be an eternity of discovery. Don't you love discovering things? I always love that. Thinking, golly, I never did see that before. Wow. Lord, thank you for your dear son. Thank you that he willingly chose to come into the city that day and to offer himself as a sacrifice for us all. What love that shows. What love that shows. Thank you, Jesus. And by faith, Lord, we receive your spirit. And by faith, Father, we receive you. I pray, Lord, that you'll blow their minds blow our minds blow the world's minds to who you are and I pray Lord that all of us will begin to live in anticipation of something really good in the future not something scary or fearful not something to avoid but something to embrace. Thank you for your goodness to us. In the name of Jesus, amen.